podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. This morning, we have some fantastic guests that are with us who have been with us all weekend long doing our Reconnect Marriage Weekend, uh, starting on Friday night and uh, ending yesterday around noon. And uh, for those of you guys who were here, you know this statement to be true. I said this to Christy yesterday. It's amazing that in only six hours, two hours on Friday night, four hours on Saturday morning, literally six hours of investment, the trajectory of our lives could be absolutely changed. I mean, I felt that. Some of the tools that I got, some of the insights, some of the principles that were shared, they have set our marriage on a good and new track. And I'm telling you, I cannot be more grateful for Brent and Janice Sharp, who have been in full-time ministry 40 years, who have been married for 40 years, and who are sharing together out of the overflow of their life and the lessons they have learned in ministry. They are friends to this house. They are friends to Christy and me. They actually did our premarital counseling 18 years ago. And they have also been uh, tightly connected with Jonathan and Bonnie Swindle as well. I want you to help me give them an Antioch welcome and receive from them today, Pastors Brent and Janice Sharp. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. We have just enjoyed being with you all weekend. And, and we love this church and we love your leaders and we love the spirit of what we feel here and and we could uh, just go home right now because we just feel full and overflowing from the Spirit of the Lord this morning. So we come to you with grace and peace. Uh, we want to talk today about peace. Uh, peace defined um, is freedom from disturbance, tranquility, calmness, restfulness. We want to frame our time this morning from the gospel message in John 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's, the whole chapter, he's trying to explain to them, I'm going away. I'm not going to be here much longer. They did not get this. They pushed back at this. They struggled with this for the whole time, all the way to the cross. They didn't get this. He was trying to say, I'm going away, and I have to go away so that the Spirit can come and live with you and be in you. Uh, from now into eternity. And yet it was confusing to them. It was, uh, he was trying to say, you're going to go through tough times. This is going to, there's going to be some hard stuff that's going to happen. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Uh, because I, this has been planned from the beginning of time and I'm going to be with you always. He ends with the verse in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Somehow in our faith training, most of us have picked up this sense of if I'm a Christian and my spiritual life is on track, then I should pretty much be full of peace and joy most all of the time. And if I'm not... I'm not sure I want to tell anybody because they may question my faith and wonder what's wrong with what's going on with me. Now, I'm not sure where we get this, to be honest with you. When I look at the scriptural story from the beginning of Genesis on, 
all of the humans involved in this story go through difficulties. Life is tough. I mean, God's people wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Can you imagine the stress? No, exactly. Can you imagine the stress and the anxiety and the fear and the worry that they must have gone through? And then we see these constant factions of people groups warring against each other. Can you imagine the fear that would have been stirred in that? People, God's people go into exile. They come out of exile. Can you imagine some of the hopeless feelings, some of the helpless feelings that they must have experienced? Jesus' own disciples don't get him. They don't understand him. And then we see kind of panic in their voice here. You're what? You're going away? I thought you were coming with a different kind of kingdom. What are you doing? And so human life is just a little different, I think, than what we've kind of been taught or picked up originally. Yet, Jesus tells us he desires us to have peace. I think another thing we've picked up somewhere, and particularly in our spirit-filled world, we've picked up the idea that if I believe the right things and do the right things, then life is going to be like a plane taken off. Now, it's got a little turbulence in the beginning, you know, what, but, but eventually I'm going to, you know, bust through the clouds and I'm going to get up into that, you know, rarefied air and life's going to be sweet. I think we have this idea that if we can just keep doing the right thing and believe in the right thing, we're going to get there. In my experience, in my own life over the years and working with many, many people, I've found that life is a little bit more like train tracks. You've got two rails right next to each other. You've got good and beautiful and wonderful things happening and frustrating and difficult and confusing things happening right at the same time. What do we do with that? Jesus overcoming the world doesn't... Am I on? Yes. Jesus overcoming the world doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. It will. You've seen it in your own life. But what it does mean is that he will always be present with us and we can trust in his presence and we can trust in his goodness. We've sang about it already this morning as we walk through whatever life may bring. Psalm 30 says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Even if things are really hard right now, we will get through this and get to a place of rejoicing. The problem is we don't want to go through the night. I would like to skip night, thank you very much. Because if you have gone through something hard, night can seem like it lasts forever. And it's when do I get to the other side? When do I get to the rejoicing? Scripture is full of stories of people who have weeping and they have rejoicing. And God is in the midst of it all. You probably know well the story in 1 Kings of Elijah. I used to love to teach my kids about the prophets in the Old Testament. And we would have these things where we would dramatically go through this story and then we'd go, and everybody knew that Elijah's God was the one true God. And we'd go, ooh. <laughs> so you guys are probably familiar about the time that Elijah called down fire from heaven. He was challenging the prophets of Baal and said, if your God's so powerful, then sacrifice, call down fire and let him burn it up. And they 
chanted and prayed and cried and, you know, all that. Nothing happened. And then Elijah called down fire from heaven, and it consumed the altar and killed the prophets of Baal. And as I would say with my kids, and then everybody there knew that, that our God is the one true God. It was an incredible time of seeing God's power and seeing Elijah submitted to God and him working through him in such a powerful way. And then, as you know the story, it's not long afterwards, the king goes home and he tells his wife Jezebel about what Elijah has done and what Elijah's God has done. And she says, I will have him killed. He's going to be taken out. And then we look at Elijah and what he does. Elijah's response, this man of God, is Elijah was afraid. I call this anxiety. Uh, when I'm working with clients and we're trying to define anxiety, I say, it's the cat over the bathtub feeling. If you have a cat and you try to put it in water, it's like that. Elijah had anxiety. He ran for his life and he went into the wilderness and he came to a broom bush and he sat down underneath it and he prayed that he would die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's depression. Now, for many of us, it's not going to be take my life. It's, this is just too hard. I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. This just gets really hard. And I think over the years, we've been surprised that this godly man went through anxiety and depression. It's like, wait a second. You just did like this incredible thing. How can you be anxious and depressed? Where's your faith? I thought you were a man of God. What happened here? I think God has this in here for us because he wants us to know that you can be right in the center of God's will. You can be doing exactly what he's called you to do, and you can get exhausted and overwhelmed. You can get depressed even when you're doing what you're supposed to do. And honestly, most of us are going to go through some time of anxiety or depression throughout our lives. There's going to be something that we hit. And that's not a surprise to God because he knows how he made us and he knows who we are. Psalms 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are but dust. He knew that Elijah was human. And he knew that even though he was doing great things, he could get tired. And he knew what Elijah needed. If we go on in 1 Kings 19, it says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Many times, our anxiety, our depression, our loss of peace, our pure exhaustion. God dealt with him by giving him food and water and rest. When we get tired of the fight, when things get really hard, it means we need a time to be restored. We need our soul to be restored. But oftentimes we don't take it. We're like, I can't do that. I have important things to do. People count on me. I have to keep pressing on. I have to do this thing. 
And I oftentimes will see some of my clients, and, and especially pastors, that nothing about anyone here, um, and they'll go, well, I can't do that. And yet I see in their life that God has opened up a space for them to go to green pastures and still waters and have their souls restored, but they fight it. That can't be God asking me to rest. But oftentimes it's what we need to restore our soul. So let's go back to Elijah. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah still had struggles with discouragement. If you read through, you'll see there were still times that he would get discouraged. But this gave him the strength to go on and do the next thing that God had called him to do. He was able to hear God's still small voice in the future because he had the rest and the refreshment along the way. We're living in a time where a lot of people are dealing with discouragement and anxiety and, uh, and stress in their life. And we're going to talk about how do we find God in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is not surprised that we go through difficulties. He knows the beginning and the end of all things, and we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. He gets why we freak out over stuff. Uh, we don't know what's happening in the parking lot right now. We don't, know what, we don't know that. He knows why we struggle with these kind of things. He knows that we are but dust. That's how we've been designed. And so one of the things that we see right now that's happening, um, dealing with um, why people are dealing with a lot of anxiety, is just because of how quickly um, we find out about bad news. Now, bad things have always been happening around the world, but we have these beautiful push notifications right now that tell us instantly what happened on the other side of the world. Every little bad thing that's ever happened just shows up immediately. If that's what we focus on, we're going to feel anxiety. We're going to feel stress. That's what's going to happen. Uh, Whatever we focus on determines ultimately our attitude. Uh, we're not on Facebook because of professional reasons, but we, and we understand that Facebook is this place where people just really encourage each other and they speak life to each other. Is that, is that right? It's joy. That, that's, joy. that's where you get joy from is to read Facebook, right? Um, and so one of the things we encourage people to do, uh, and we talk, the scripture talks about fasting as a spiritual rhythm and as a spiritual principle. A lot of times we think about food, okay? Um, but we encourage people to take moments, have regular rhythms where they fast social media, uh, where we shut it down for an entire day. We might shut it down periodically for an entire week and just see what happens when you just don't get all of that junk that's just getting thrown at you. Just see what might take place in your life uh, and the peace that we might, we might find from that. For some of us, the anxiety and the depression that we deal with is biological. If you look back in your family a generation or two and you see someone who was a workaholic or an alcoholic, they probably were dealing with anxiety or depression and they were self-medicating. So we may have the genes that set us up for that. Now, the good news is there's so many ways that we can deal with it that we don't have to fall into that pit of despair. We have ways that we can join together as believers. We have ways that we can correct our thinking when our thinking is negative or unhealthy. Um, We can have things that 
uh, support groups that can encourage us. I think back now on grandmas that we've had that were so, um, oh, is your child back in the country now? I just can't sleep until they're back in the country from that missions trip. And now I realize that was grandma's anxiety. That was something she was pre-wired probably to do. But we have the ability to say, I'm going to change some things in my life so I don't have to get sucked into that, whether it's thinking or activities. And we are blessed that if medication is necessary, it's there. And we can use it if it's needed. A lot of depression is situational or reactional. We've had so many bad things happen in a period of time that just feels like everything's bad that we get stuck in the bad and we lose sight of all the good things that are going on around us. We lose sight of the good things that God is doing in the world and in our lives. Over the last two and a half years, we have lost my mother, my sister, a nephew, one of our daughter's closest friends, and Brent's dad. But we have also had our two daughters have lovely weddings and marry men that I just can't believe. They're so awesome. I would adopt them. If they didn't marry them, I would adopt them. <laughs> that would have been so awkward, so they really needed to marry. <laughs> We've seen our precious oldest grandchild, five, start kindergarten and blossom, and the teachers learn more about strong will. <laughs> We've had a brand new baby girl that's six months now that is just a joy and a delight, and she lives next door to my office, which is even better. We have kids that are getting jobs and promotions. We celebrated our 40th anniversary this year, and as I told you yesterday, I decided to keep him. Um, Our church has been blessed with a new building that's three times the size that we had before for the same price. Yes. There are train tracks running beside each other. There's hard and there's good. But God is in the midst of all of them. And he's present for us in all of them. And he brings us hope. And he brings us peace. So in, in thinking about what we want to talk about for the next few minutes, we thought about, okay, what would what is something that all of us are experiencing that we consistently are going to experience in this human life as followers of Jesus? And we recognize that it's all of us are going to f- experience some grief and some loss on a fairly consistent basis. I tell people that as Christians, as healthy, to be healthy individuals, we've got to become kind of professional grievers. That sounds a little morbid, but uh, I know that when we think about grief, we usually think about somebody dying. But all of us are grieving over things that are simply, I thought life was going to look like this. This was like the dream or the ideal. And, And life feels like it's down here someplace because of things that have happened. The difference, the distance there is like a death. We're going to experience the same kinds of things as somebody that lost a close loved one through death. And so, so what do we do with that? Uh, it might be simply, some of you, we just had the holidays just a couple of months ago. And for some of you, the holidays are just not quite what you wish they would be. <laughs> They're just a little more difficult uh, with uncle so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, we go through those things. Some of you, your last child graduated and is off to college, and you just don't feel that you're needed as much. And so your whole role in life is kind of flipped upside down. Some of you may be struggling with infertility. 
or you've just had a miscarriage and you're dealing with that pain and that loss. Or your job is just not fulfilling or you haven't had a raise in like forever. Uh (laughs) Or your child's really struggling in a a, um, subject or a sport that you're really good at. And it's hard for you to understand why this is so hard for them. We had a good friend that's just kind of checked out. You were pretty close to them, and all of a sudden their circumstances have changed, and they've just kind of checked out of your life. Or your marriage isn't quite what you wanted it to be. Your spouse is always too busy, and you don't feel that connection any longer. You just turned 40, 50, 60. (laughs) 80, maybe even 25. (laughs) And you thought you'd be in a different place right now than where you are at this age. Or you've been really hustling retirement and working on it, and it seems like every few years it gets dinged and you lose half of it in the market, and and you don't know what this is going to look like in the future. You're feeling anxious and overwhelmed every time you look at the news in the morning. What is this world coming to? You're feeling out of control about something. you're getting a little bit older. Your grown kids don't seem to be following the Lord anymore. This, this and a hundred other things are like deaths. They're losses that we're experiencing. Now, I know you're going, well, I was feeling pretty good this morning <laughs> until you started bringing all this stuff up. Uh, so, so what do we do with this? God is a God of hope. He's a God of peace. Mm-hmm. He has a way through this stuff. But what if we don't know the path? What if we don't know how to get through this? We, feel, we believe we deal with a lot of people that are dealing with unresolved grief. They don't know what to do with it. It's interesting, uh, Billy Graham later in his life was interviewed, and one of his quotes was, Americans have no clue how to grieve. Mm-hmm. What if we're a culture that doesn't know what to do with this? There is a pathway through grief, and it can be life-giving, and it can be life-deepening. That's where we get a lot of the riches in life as we go through this, but it takes time, and we all have to go through it. We can't go around it. My clients will often say, so what do I need to do so I can get this thing over with and move on? (laughs) You can't skip it. This is part of the process of life, and so we accept it for what it is, because every one of us will experience grief at some point. Many years ago, there were, um, they came up with the idea of the stages of grief. And most of us are familiar with that. But oftentimes when we go through grief, we think back on those stages. And I hear this from my clients all the time. It's like, okay, I'm in anger. So how quick can I get through this so I can go to the next stage? We think it's like this. I do this, and then I do this, and then done. I'm done with grief. I view grief as more like an old-fashioned sadness, mourning, crying, denial, you know, oh, I'm back to anger again. Oop, there I go into denial. We kind of go all over the place. And, and it can surprise you sometimes because, like, I thought I was done with that. What is going on right now? But what happens is we all have our journey. We all have our individual journey that we go through. You may have lost a parent and your sibling is reacting in a totally different way than you are because we grieve differently. Husbands and wives will grieve differently and we'll all go through those stages, but they're not predictable and they do come back again. The good news is they can get longer in between the hard times and then the hard times will get less. So 
we get there, but don't expect it to be step one, step two, step three, and now I've reached, I, it's so funny, I have had several times people come in and go, well, I don't get this, my mom died three months ago, and I'm still grieving. What do I do? How do I get out of this? Well, studies show it really takes us two to five to seven or more years to fully grieve the loss of a significant relationship. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to feel the same way five years from now that you feel right now. You may have long stretches of time in between there where you're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it'll be weather, it'll be something that you see, and it will take you back into some of those stages. That is normal. I could spend all day talking about this, so I should move on. Um, <laughs> The, the first stage that we normally hit, this is generally in the beginning, while all the rest of them can be unpredictable, is shock and denial. It's when things seem overwhelming. I can't make sense of this. This is not right. If you have an adult child that's not serving the Lord, it's, this is not right. I am not okay with this. And sometimes we wonder how we can go on. But it's said that shock and denial, there's actually a grace in that. Sometimes we have to be in denial to be able to take the next step and to get to the point where we can wrap our brain around it and begin to be at the point where we can open ourselves up to God and go, okay, what is my next step? Where do I go from here? One of the challenges in our faith culture is we've sometimes equated denial with faith. I see this sometimes at funerals where people make comments about, wow, the family's handling this so well. It's just amazing. And I'm sitting there going, they're in shock. They're not even started to dealing with this. But it, because they're not bleeding all over the place, we think they're, they have such great faith. Mm -hmm. God doesn't want us to have to hide in denial. He wants us to be able to acknowledge the reality of it, and he's going to be with us through the process. Anger is another tough one. This is one of the probably the most, one of the most difficult ones for us Christians because we're not supposed to be angry. If we have faith, I'm supposed to forgive immediately. I'm supposed to be a, a person of peace. But anger is a normal reaction to loss. The scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. It's not wrong to be angry. It's normal to be angry. But what do we do with it? How do we, how do we deal with it in a way that we don't sin? I think there's two ways that we sin. One is I, get, I sin against myself by just repressing it. I'm just going to push it down. Yes, I'm angry, but that's going to look bad, so I'm just going to push it down. It's like a beach ball that we're just stuffing under the water. It is going to come out again, and it will harm you. And then the other is how do, we not, um, how do we not just let her rip and bleed all over everybody else and let our anger, that's the way we sin against others. So, so what do we do with this? First of all, the idea with anger is that anger has what we call a shotgun effect. If you ever shot a shotgun, you know the shotgun shell is pretty small and it's packed with little pellets. When you shoot it, by the time it hits the target 20 paces away, the pattern's that big. It's a bunch of little pellets that scatter. If you had a loved one that was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver, you'd be very angry at that drunk driver. But you might also be angry at the ambulance for taking so long to get there. You might be angry at people in ICU for why didn't you do something more to save my loved one. You might be angry at the funeral home for misspelling something on the program. You might be angry at yourself for I wish I would told him I loved him one last time. You may be angry at them for why did you have to go run errands late at night in the rain. You might be angry at God for why did you let this happen to such a good person. 
Mm-hmm. When there's a whole bunch of bad people in the world that this could have happened to. That is a norm. Don't, don't be surprised if you're not just more irritable than normal about everything when you go through mm-hmm. a loss. It's normal. So what do we do with this? I remember my dad, we lost him a few months ago. Um, but he had had a stroke several years ago, and we kind of lost him then because he had, he had a stroke, and he had what's called multiple aphasia, so he couldn't understand us anymore, and he couldn't communicate what he was trying to say, so we pretty much lost him. And I remember flying through a Florida airport. They were, they were down there on a break, and I remember flying through the airport. And my dad was a colonel in the Army, and he always kept himself in good shape, and and I, w- I was walking through the airport seeing all of these older guys that it didn't look like they were taking very good care of themselves. Uh, and they were hanging out with their grandkids. I was so mad. A wave of that just hit me. Why? Why my dad, who served you all of his life and loved you, and why did this happen to him? That's going to happen. But there's two keys to processing anger in a healthy way. Because the way that we get through this... Because uh, you'll go in and out of these, but you can get stuck if you don't process them well. And the key with anger, I call it the two V words. It's validation and ventilation. If we don't have somebody in our world, if not a few somebodies validate what we're experiencing, we don't heal well. We get stuck. Early in our marriage, we went through several miscarriages. Uh, we, this was a time where we were working in a ministry, and our, part of our responsibility was we had a maternity home, we had a crisis pregnancy center, and an adoption agency. We had this 14- and 15-year-old girls that the last thing they wanted to be was pregnant. They were getting kicked out of their house, and we were trying to help them, and trying to help them land and through adoption and so forth. And we were going through all these miscarriages. And it was like, what is the deal with this? Um, and we had people in our church say the stupidest things. <laughs> they were trying to be helpful. I know it came from a good place. They, they, they were trying to help us feel better, but it was not helping. They would say things like, well, you guys are young. You can have more. Well, this isn't like a shoe we lost, you know. Uh, one said, well, the world is so bad right now. It's good that your babies just go right to heaven. I wanted to strangle these people. <laughs> Did I just say that out loud? Yeah. Um, and he's not a violent person. <laughs> but we had an older gentleman come up to us, because oftentimes in our faith cultures, we don't know how to sit with people in their pain. We want to fix them. We want to get them better. We had an older gentleman come up to us, and he simply put his hand on our arms. He had tears in his eyes, and he just said, I am so sorry about your baby. That was so helpful. We actually were able to start to heal. But if we don't have that validation uh, and we don't feel like anybody gets what we're going through, we don't seem to heal well. The other thing with anger is we need to ventilate it. How do we get it out of us? Um, How do we get this poison out of us in a way that's not going to harm others? And there's several ways to do that. There's several ways we encourage. The first one is we have to find safe people that we can ventilate to. Safe people allow us to have our own emotions. They don't try to fix us. They don't try to push us into something that we're not ready to do right now. They let us go at our own pace. They're confidential. They don't gossip. And we can share anything with them. We want to find safe people, and we want to be safe people for the people around us. We have to be open and honest with God. We have to share all those thoughts and all those feelings, not just the nice ones. God can handle it if you're mad at him. 
you will not get struck by lightning if you tell him you're angry. I, I tell clients this all the time, and then I always go, God, make sure I don't get struck by lightning, because it would just cause a lot of problems with a lot of people. <laughs> he wants you to come with him, to come to him with all of you, even the anger, even the blame, even the bad feelings. He can walk you through this. We see it throughout scripture, people crying out to God with real feelings. And God is safe. I think we see it, I think we see it in a number of places, but we really see it in, in uh, Psalms, especially when David is pouring his heart out and lamenting. Psalms 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David was writing out his grief. And that's the third thing we really recommend. Write out your pain. Not only do we release our feelings, but if you've done it, you begin to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God that you have seen throughout your life. I may not like what's going on right now, but God is so good and he is so faithful. Rejoicing will come again in the morning. And remember, these kind of continue to happen. Don't be surprised if you don't feel some relief from that and you feel good for a week and then the next Monday after that, you're just as mad as you were before again. and But but we, if we process it well, the intensity will begin to decrease. The time in between those stages will begin. Um, uh, the intensity will decrease. The time in between those stages will increase. The next one is depression. Again, another one, it's hard for us as Christians because we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be full of joy. Um, depression is a, that sense of discouragement. It's a, it's a normal part of grief and loss. Um, depression has what we call a corkscrew effect to it. If you turn a corkscrew in a cork, every time you turn it, it goes deeper. So if I'm having kind of a bad day today, not only is my day not going well today, but I don't have any energy to plan for tomorrow to be a better day. And so tomorrow I'm susceptible to be a little bit more down, the next day a little bit more down, the next day a little bit more down. And so what we have to do is help people begin to find some rhythms in their life that begin to push against that natural discouragement that will happen. The thing we have to come to place of is that I can't count on my circumstances to change because we don't just get to snap our fingers. My dad is in heaven now. He's gone. He's not going to come back this side of heaven. I can't change that circumstance. Um, and I can't change people. I can't change uh, I can't make people care for me um, in ways that I may really need them to care for me. I can't, I can't do that. So how do I begin to develop some lifestyle habits that are life-giving? And so, again, we're kind of just hitting the, the surface here a little bit this morning, but, but we help people find these rhythms where they find things that bring them joy and they have to take really, really small steps. We don't like that. 
we like. We, we've been conditioned with the McDonald's experience. You make your order, and if they don't have your order within about 30 seconds, you're irritated. We want things microwaved. We want it instantly. Uh, we want to pray and have somebody pray for us, and instantly this all go away, and we've kind of been conditioned to that. It's not the way it works. It's a little-by-little little process of healing that takes place in our life. One of the things, one of the scriptures that we have seen over and over again that is, is a good perspective on how he, all healing happens in our life, whether it's emotional, spiritual. Um, we see this in counseling all the time. It's in, it's in Exodus 23, 27. It says, I will, it's God speaking to the children of Israel. It says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But... I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. God has a land for us all to possess, but we're not ready for it oftentimes. We have to take small little steps to get there. And so that's one one of the keys with depression is you've got to keep moving. And we got to help people that are discouraged to just keep cheering them on, but recognize that that's a normal feeling. That's why pep talks don't really help. Well, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and Scripture this and this, and hopefully they're just going to feel better instantly. Really is kind of counterproductive because it's actually invalidating to them. But say, I recognize how difficult. We're just praying for you, and we're cheering you on here. If there's anything that we can do to help, let us know. And then there's mourning. And that's what we think of when we think of, of grief. It's the tears. We don't like that. We don't want to be in pain. We don't want to see people cry. We don't want people to see us cry. And so we kind of want to hurry them through that. But this is part of life. We will cry. We will go through that. I have a cute little client, cute little client. That shows how old I'm getting. Um, she's a physician. And uh, she just said, Man, she lost her mother a few months ago. And she goes, man, I hate this because I'm going about my job doing fine. And then all of a sudden these tears come up. And I'm like, I'm a professional. I'm not supposed to have these. <laughs> but, but we do. We just have to find a way to do it in a way that works for us. I encourage my clients. And the first time I heard this at a grief um, workshop I went to, I thought it was so silly. But it works. I have my clients, if they're having difficulty really being able to allow themselves to cry, or if they have grown up in a way that they don't know their emotions very well, I will encourage them to set aside a time, Thursday night for two hours, whatever they want to do, put candles on, sit alone in your room, have a big box of Kleenex, and let yourself feel the pain. Let yourself grieve and get it out so you can move on from there. And then there's acceptance. As we said, you're going to go in and out of all the different stages. We're going to walk through them all, and they'll spread out a little more. And then we come to the point of acceptance. And that is, yes, a really difficult thing happened. This is something I did not want in my life. I'm going to be okay, though. God is with me, and I'm going to be okay. Grief is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Just as Brent said, it is a little by little process. We're never going to say, gosh, I'm so happy my sister died. We're never going to say that. But we can get to the point where we go, you know what? I'm going to go on and have a good life. 
I can move on from here. So how can we as the church help? If all of us are going to go through this, then this has got to be something that we as the body of Christ can walk with one another and help one another with it. So how do we help? The first thing is we've got to acknowledge and recognize our own burnouts and loss, our own stress and anxiety, and deal with it. Don't try to ignore it. Deal with it and walk through it. We need to create an environment where people can be open and honest, which I love seeing here. And people can be real, and it's safe. It's a safe place. We're not going to jump to fix them, and we're not judging them. We can help in practical ways. If God lays somebody on your heart, and you think you're supposed to drop a meal by to them, drop it by. You may not know what they're going through, but if that's on your heart, you can be there to bring healing to them. You can hug somebody, even if they're not somebody you've hugged before. If you feel that sense of, you know what, I just want to give them a hug, you can do that. Send a card. Listen to the Holy Spirit in that. That is a wonderful thing that we have. The Holy Spirit is with us and can speak to us in so many ways and be a blessing to other people. And we need to acknowledge people's pain instead of avoiding them. If you guys have ever had a huge loss in your life and you go to church or you go to work or whatever, it's amazing how many people get busy doing other things when you walk in the door. I used to say it was like the parting of the Red Sea. I'd walk in and everybody would go the other direction because they didn't know what to say. And they felt the pain, but they didn't know what to do. And that's when you just say, hey, love you, praying for you. You don't have to do any more than that. We need to uh, provide support for people. Maybe it's right at some point for you guys to do a support group for mothers of preschoolers. I mean, we found that's one of the best things that we have done because they're grieving some losses in other ways. I used to be an executive, and now I nurse and change diapers all day long. You know, I lost my life. I lost who I used to be. Uh, grief support groups, empty nester support groups. We would be happy to lead that in Aruba. So <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Come on with us. We're just here for you. What can I say? We need to normalize getting help. There are some great support groups, even in other churches. So I encourage people to go to Grief Share, uh, Divorce Recovery, Blended Family Groups. There's a number of groups, and we need to normalize that. And if somebody says, I think I need counseling, go, great, don't we all? Let's get you connected with someone, and we'll help you. Get connected, and you can walk through this. And then pray. Your church needs your prayers. The individual people in your church need your prayers. So even if you don't know them, but you see them, and you think, you know what, that person's always so happy, and there's something on their face that I just get the sense something's going on. Pray for them. You don't ever have to tell them you prayed for them. And if God gives you a word uh, about them, it's not always appropriate to tell them that. He may give you a word so that you can share or so that you can pray for him, but to share it with them, they might feel too vulnerable or too exposed. So prayer is one of the best things you can do for all the people around you, whether your church, your job, wherever you're at. Pray for those around you and listen to the Holy Spirit. And finally, trust the power of your presence with each other. 
We love the fact that this is a safe place. Um, your pastors and leaders know that we're all going through stuff, and it's okay. It's okay to have stuff. Um, and when you go to each other, when somebody comes to you, and you don't know what to say, and you just embrace their pain and sit with it, something very powerful is happening there. I believe it's a sacramental moment. We're about to come to the table here in just a moment. I believe this is one of those sacramental moments. The sacrament, I've, one of the definitions is where heaven crashes into earth. The two come together. And I believe that when you are able to just hold somebody's pain and rest in it and be there with them, that they are encountering heaven through you. That God, you are representing God with skin on him. When that gentleman came up to us and put his hand on our arm and said, I'm so sorry about your baby, it was God embracing us with skin on him. Trust that. We, we don't know, we're afraid, we always feel like we have to have something to say. I've got to have a scripture that's just right for them and it's going to help them feel better tomorrow. Uh, it doesn't mean that the scripture doesn't, um, isn't the foundation of who we are and what we're carrying, uh, but just trust being with them. It's a sacramental moment. Trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust the power of heaven to be present and to heal in those moments. And then finally, I know that I know we may have stirred up some stuff in you this morning. Um, this may have there may have been some things lying dormant that maybe got stirred up. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Trust that He's going to be present with you, and He'll take you through it. And so as we close, I just want you to listen um, to a scripture. This is, um, this is Paul. Matter of fact, you might just close your eyes for a moment. Um, this is Paul recognizing that there's going to be stuff that doesn't make sense in our life. There's going to be stuff that we don't know how to handle, that's hurtful, that's confusing. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, we come to you today. We thank you for this beautiful group of people. Lord, we thank you that even when we feel separated from you, when we feel like, where are you? You feel distant, God. We don't, why are you allowing this to happen in our life? That really you're right there. We just don't know what to, to make of it. And we are the one that feels the separation. Thank you that absolutely nothing can separate us from you, that you don't give up on us, that you keep following us. You keep stepping into our world. You keep ste stepping into the realities of this experience and you are present. Sometimes you make it very clear what to do at that moment. Sometimes we like feel like you're quiet, but you're always there. Thank you that you understand your design here, that you made us to be 
dependent creatures. And thank you that you understand why that freaks us out. We don't like to depend on anybody. We like to be in control, and yet you've not made us that way. And so as we fight through this and figure out how do we continue to just come back to you and trust, trust in your goodness, Lord, we do trust you. We do believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us to find those moments and recognize your voice. We trust you for that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.